Hello, and welcome to Business Beyond Usual. My name is Jeff Church. It is February t- uh, 2020, and we're here for another episode of Business Beyond Usual. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about all things recruiting for internships and a little bit of full time. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to get in touch. We want to make this podcast a little more interactive with the audience this year, and we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at bbupodcast at umich.edu. That's bbupodcast at umich, U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. Ask us questions, suggest episode topics, or just say hi. We'll spend some time at the beginning of each show reading some of your messages and answering any questions you have. So we're here today to discuss the very central, single, most emphasized part of business school, recruiting. Everyone applies to business school with an idea or information as to what they want to pursue, decisions they want to make, and ultimately uh, the internship they're looking for, um, whether it be their dream internship or an internship altogether. We'll talk through the process today in great detail with fellow Rossers, Bridget, Cam, Carlos, and Nick. Welcome to the pod, everybody. Thanks Thank for having you. us, Jeff. Yeah, good to be here. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, first of all, I'll give a, a quick overview of, of today's episode, and then I'll ask you guys all to introduce yourselves. Um, so uh, in today's, uh, what I'd like to call Get Them Checks episode, um, we're going to talk about first the kind of everyone's recruiting kind of outlook and vision prior to school. So what were you thinking kind of before uh, you stepped on foot on campus? And then the second thing we'll talk about is um, what I'm calling the exploration process. Um, once you stepped foot on campus, how did you think about applying to jobs and what kind of resources were available to you? Um, and how did you use those resources, et cetera, et cetera? Um, finally, um, we'll talk uh, kind of applications and interviews. And then um, once that's uh, through, we'll, we'll talk about the process as a whole. Um, so if everyone wants to go through, uh, Carlos, we can start with you. Um, you know, talk a little bit about yourself, your background, um, what brought you to B-School. Um, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, perfect. Um, so for anyone or everyone that doesn't know me, Carlos Perez came in the Ross from Puerto Rico where I was working for a real estate developer. did that for four years before coming to school. And uh, real estate development was this really interesting, really entrepreneurial sort of line of business to be in. And I, I really enjoyed what I did. Um, but as the years went on, I saw the development of this entrepreneurial ecosystem in Puerto Rico that was obviously much smaller and much more nascent than it is in, in the States, in New York, and Silicon Valley, but I sort of really got interested in it. And uh, I started being interested in venture capital and seeing the opportunities that could be, that could lie within entrepreneurship. Um, so I came into Ross wanting to sort of transition into VC, whether that would be directly through a VC internship or by getting a startup internship and then transitioning to VC full time. Um, and yeah, there's a bunch of different paths. Every, everything you read, everyone you talk to, there's a bunch of different paths to get to VC. Um, the most famous one is start a company, get it bought out, and then become a VC. I was obviously not at, at that point. So I thought that coming to business school could be a perfect opportunity to sort of develop those skills and try and make that transition in a realistic way. So you're saying you, didn't, you hadn't thought of any tech unicorns to kind of build up, get bought out, and then not have to go to business school? No, I did. I did. I, I thought about <laughs> starting a company like Airbnb, but uh, Joe Gebbia and, and Brian Chesky, okay. they started it before I did. Got it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Welcome. 
Bridget, can you tell us about your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Bridget Manning. I'm an MBA one. Before Ross, I was living in Boston for six years. Um, up there, I was a CPA and did tax mergers and acquisitions for four years. And then I thought this wasn't really for me. Um, so I pivoted into technology and I was a product manager at Wayfair for two years. Um, and that's kind of what triggered me to come back to B-School. Uh, I loved working for an actual company and not doing client services. And my dad's a small business owner. And I realized that being a general manager within a larger corporation was something I was really interested in. So that entrepreneurial mindset, but not really being alone out there in the world. I love working for big companies. Um, so yeah, I came back to business school to get a GM role. And that's what I'm pursuing long term. Uh, the way you kind of pivot into a general manager role is to find uh, internships and roles at companies that are feeder pipelines for the general management general managers of their business units. So you kind of have to do some legwork to figure out what those roles are. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, as a former CPA myself, I can uh, I can uh, sympathize with you. Yeah, <laughs> it's exciting, but also not very exciting for no. anyone considering it. <laughs> we strongly support any CPAs out there. Yeah, Cam. Um, so I'm Cameron Sharman, MBA one as well. Um, thanks for having us, Jeff. Um, so before school, I did a few things. I was a freelance tutor, um, worked as a production assistant, but most recently I've been in New York for the last six years. Uh, I was paralegal for two, and then the last three and a half I was working in the legal department at a private equity firm. Um, so obviously exploring potentially lost school, uh, but spending, I guess, five years around lawyers. Uh, they convinced me not to, um, which I think was a good decision. Uh, and then just being on the kind of the buy side, um, seeing, oh, and seeing kind of the finance and the advisory role the banks were uh, playing with us, it, um, that's what I decided to pursue instead. So I came into business and at late 20s, that's kind of your only option to pivot into finance, um, is through the business school route. So decided to apply to business school with the intent of going into banking. So I came in um, pretty focused. Great. And Nick? Uh, yeah, so my name's Nick Campbell. Um, I'm an Ann Arbor native uh, who has come back to his hometown for, for B-School. Um, I was living in Chicago, and I was working in finance. Before uh, school, I was not in investment banking. I was a um, a junior portfolio manager, investment analyst at, at Morgan Stanley. Um, and sort of the catalyst for me is I, uh, you know, we were sort of running this this group within within Morgan Stanley um, and doing a lot of investment management analysis. But, you know, with any group, there are little one-off projects that you need to, to kind of take care of to make the group or the business run more efficiently. And I found myself getting more enjoyment out of that than I was, um, just the day-to-day following markets and, and everything. So um, started sort of examining what that meant for my, for my career and my future um, and landed on consulting. So uh, similar to, to what Cam said about getting into banking, um, a very well-trod path to get into consulting as a, uh, in your late 20s is to go to B-School. So um, that's where I am. I am the only MBA2 uh, in the room, so I... Um, have had my internship, uh, and I have signed an offer to go uh, work for a consulting firm after school. So we can get into that later. Congratulations! That's my, that's my story. Thank you so much, and thank you for uh, for taking the step to sit with MBA ones for an hour. Well, I have a lot more time than they do now, so <laughs> that's it's, true. That's true. easier for me. Although we're learning how to function more like you guys do now. 
Um, great. So yeah. And I, I guess myself, uh, you know, uh, this is kind of the second time I've been on the pod and, uh, you know, my background is, uh, it, I worked at Ernst & Young for uh, seven years. I was in accounting advisory, um, in coming here, I was um, kind of looking to uh, kind of take a step up in the consulting world and, and work on some strategic consulting work. Um, uh, however, uh, at the time, kind of marketing was kind of a guilty pleasure for myself and didn't really know if I wanted to pursue it or what the career was like. Um, but within a couple of weeks of um, my time uh, at school, uh, I decided to pursue marketing. And so that's, that's where I'll be going. Uh, but so that kind of leads me to my first question for you guys, um, and Carlos, we can start with you, uh, prior to Ross, um, you mentioned what you kind of worked in, but what did you list on your application as your short-term career objective? Because I know a lot of the people out there right now are, uh, have already submitted or are thinking about their short-term career objective. And we continually kind of joke as to whether or not we were still on that path. So I'm, I'm proud to say that I'm, I'm still on that path. I listed going into venture capital as an internship and then directly after school. Sometimes I question whether that was the the smart choice, (laughs) given we're still grinding. No, no, no. Um, But yeah, the way I looked at it was that I wanted to get some venture experience here in the States. And then eventually, whether that's five years from now, 10 years from now, move back to Puerto Rico and sort of help spark and fund that growing ecosystem I'm interested in. And I thought the best way to do that would be come to business school and then try and get a job as an associate at a VC firm. Um, So still doing that uh, may or may not have broadened my horizons to startups, given the (laughs) the low, low uh, hit rate on the cold emails for VCs. Yeah. Startups seem to be more responsive. Awesome. We'll get into that in a bit. And Bridget, what do you have on your application? I I know this is unusual, but I, too, put general management on my application. Um, I definitely, though, throughout the course of the fall, fell into the FOMO trap. We can talk about that a little later when my consultant friends were getting their fat offers back in uh, December and the beginning of January. I was a little jealous, but ultimately stayed the course. Good, good. Um, So, yeah, I put banking, um, so I was pretty focused as well. Um, So, easy (laughs) enough. Yeah, there were three for three so far. Yeah, three. (laughs) Uh, yeah, mine was a long time ago, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, consulting was my my uh, my short term okay. goal, and and here we are. Awesome, yeah. So so coming into Ross, so you, we talked a little bit about kind of what everyone was expecting out of the experience. Um, I guess were there any kind of specific support resources that you were aware of coming into Ross that you knew that you wanted to take advantage of? Um, obviously, we talked about what B school can do for you, but I guess you know. Were you aware of the CDO? Were you aware of fat groups? Were you aware of kind of peer support um, coming in? So yes and no. Uh, coming in, I knew that making a transition to something like venture startups was going to be really difficult, and I was vaguely aware of fat group and how the CDO could help. I uh, Maybe I was naive in that sense and thought that I'd always heard it was the hustle and the onus, uh, onus was going to be on me. So I sort of... So you were aware of kind so, of the difficulties of... Yeah, yeah. And maybe you'd say crazy knowing that while people are doing their very structured marketing, banking, consulting, tech recruiting, that you're sort of like running around right. like a crazy person shooting emails, asking anyone from your class who you see has a connection on LinkedIn to someone at a firm you're interested in. But... But yeah, uh, the CDO and the the CDO and Fat Group are both great resources. I just happened to really find my stride 
by myself and sort yeah. of kept to that. We'll see if it works, uh, crossing my fingers. I'm sure it will. <laughs> yeah, so um, there was one, one resource I knew I wanted to use and one that I didn't really realize existed. So when I came to business school, I really viewed the CDO as the people who could get me in the room with the companies I wanted to be with, and sure. they certainly did that. You know, once I crossed over the threshold of that room where that company was, I took it all upon myself, and I think that's a really good tactic to take. Um, on the flip side of that, I knew about the Michigan network and reaching out to people, kind of getting those networking skills going. What I didn't realize is how willing the MBA 2s here were to prep me for interviews, to get me ready with my cover letters. I mean, it's truly astounding how much time the MBA 2s spent with me, and that was absolutely the resource I ended up leveraging the most. Yeah, so I had heard of fat groups because I had spoken to some MBA 2s, but I didn't really understand how um, kind of instrumental they'd be. Um, at least for banking, mine was pretty small. We had four, but one person who's signed a summer offer, so really only three kind of active MBA 1s. Um, and he was, we'd meet weekly, um, and he was responding to texts like daily, really good support there. And then just all, honestly across the board on the MBA 2s, um, if the amount of hours they put in to get like the MBA one class into shape is incredible and beyond what I could have ever imagined. And like the whole banking kind of ecosystem is driven by that and is successful here at Michigan because of that. And because of that every year and then like MBA ones do well, like their experience and then want to give back. And it just has been incredible and really exceeded expectations. Yeah. And I'll highlight there. It seems like banking definitely had one of the more kind of, Sil- not, I don't know if siloed is the right word, but like structured and formalized Definitely. support system around your recruiting process. Uh, I know uh, there's a, some education sessions with kind of Wall Street um, prep or something like that. Yes, yeah, C- um, CDO go got us, a, got everyone in Finance Club a license to Wall Street prep that has hundreds of hours of uh, video for tech, whether it's technical behavioral prep for interviews. Um, we'd meet weekly with two MBA twos every Sunday called Sil- iBanking Silo, um, where you kind of get prepped for like what's in, what position you are or kind of what phase you are in the recruiting process. So yeah, definitely um, MBA twos have been great for banking. Great. Yeah, and I, and I can say from the consulting side, um, consulting recruiting is pretty structured. I would say it requires a lot of effort on the part of the individuals, but um, there's a very defined timeline of networking and then uh, dropping resumes and interviewing. And um, and you mentioned uh, you know the MBA twos. I mean, I... I've been in a fat group, and I've also been a fat group leader, and I can tell you that that uh, the reason I did that was because my own leader last year um, was so helpful, and um, so it's it I don't foresee that changing um, anytime soon. Um, I think for my own, when I came in as a as an MBA one, <clears throat> I did my undergrad at a small uh, liberal arts school um, in West Michigan, Hope College, go Dutchman, mm. um, and and I wouldn't change it for the world, but. For someone looking to get into financial services in a big city like Chicago, um, you know, Goldman Sachs does not come recruit there. Um, so I was completely on my own. And my reaction to all the infrastructure we had at Michigan was that I was like, oh, this is so much better than, than I had before. So mm-hmm. um, it was just, uh, you know, above and beyond what I was, what I was used to. Um, but I, I will say that while it does require a lot of individual effort to to network and get yourself in interview shape, um, especially for consulting, there is a lot of, uh, it's not for lack of resources that the, that the school and the 
student body provides, mm-hmm. uh, especially the MBA ones. Yeah, no, I think that kind of, I think one thing you touched on there was the classmates um, and leveraging your classmates' knowledge. Um, me personally coming in, um, I just wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't really know where I wanted to be. I didn't know what companies I wanted to work for. Um, so I wanted to come in and I just wanted exposure to all these different geos, functions, industries, that kind of trifecta is what you hear a lot, the geo function industry. Um, and so just speaking to my classmates, I think was my biggest resource. Um, and that, uh, and I think I was expecting to have that resource and that that's what I wanted to do is understand, okay, these people from the tech world, um, you know, Bridget, you were in the tech world before and understanding that and um, the real estate world and, uh, you know, folks from, uh, from, from banking, from consulting um, and people from marketing specifically, um, you know, what's that like? And so I think the, the wide range of classmates experience that I've seen here has is, is helped a lot. Um, and so I think that kind of transitions us um, into the next next uh, piece where we can talk a little more uh, in detail about our experience to date uh, here at Ross um, in what I'm calling kind of the exploration process. So um, yeah, so we'll talk about kind of the recruiting process once you arrived at Ross. Um, but before you submitted the applications, um, when we were all kind of running, running around, uh, with our, our heads cut off. Um, so, uh, what I'd like to do is go kind of question by question and we can go around the table, uh, for a while and, uh, get people's perspectives on kind of each question. I think the first thing, um, I'll touch on, uh, is kind of, uh, as a whole networking at Ross. So, I want to touch on um, kind of in your section, in your class, in your industry, how have you helped other classmates? How have other classmates helped you? Um, how have you leveraged the CDO? Were there speakers on campus? Um, so first of all, we'll go with uh, uh, Cam. Uh, tell me about kind of in your section, in our class, how have you leveraged your classmates' experiences? Have you spoken to any classmates that were in banking before? Um, or, or have you? how have you gained benefit from your classmates here at Ross? Sure. Um, I think it, for banking, it's a bit unique because not a lot of people come from past, like in just direct investment banking sure. experience. So I think in that aspect, um, it didn't benefit a ton. Um, I think it was more th- through the process with my other um Bank, like potential bankers, as we we would have a group me and just uh, kind of open share of information because through the banking we're not it's not a cutthroat Stern and Wharton where thirty forty percent of the class is going for banking. So there's there's this like reputation. We among love the all club. of our business school partners. No, no, I'm just saying it's a it's a different environment. You know, it's it's here. There's this idea that um, you know there's a spot for everyone. So it's very early on. It's kind of viewed as a team sport and it's more like we're trying to represent Michigan as a, this cohort of 30, 40 people. So that really um, kind of laid the groundwork for very open like, oh, did you get this person's card? Oh, d- had you heard back from this early interview date? So everyone was just kind of on the same page because a lot of the recruiting process is balancing your kind of like emotional um, kind of uh, – kind of state or just like the amount of kind of the where is as much time and um, energy as it is emotional energy. So uh, that's, I think, been the really added bonus is just getting going through the process, not feeling like alone, feeling like there's 40 other people that you can 
reach out to. Totally. Yeah, I'd, I'd echo that. My, as a, uh, you know, pursuing marketing, you know, there were resources uh, or there were folks here who had been in marketing before and they were able to kind of, I'm literally interviewing for their career, for their previous career path. And so they were able to help me going in interviews and stuff. Um, you know, if not, did anyone else have a similar experience where, um, you know, obviously the, the collaborative culture here at Ross is huge and, and that's something that we've all seen, but. Yeah, I can, I can echo that as well. Not not really that many people coming into school have a VC background. I don't think VC is really a sort of a pre MBA job. And I think our first our first exposure to at least the amount of people that wanted to do VC was through Fat Group. Um, and we happened. It was actually the first year that the CDO has has put together a VC. They called it the VCPE Fat Group, and it was led by Kelly Goldstein, who's an absolute rock star recruited successfully not that she's the only one who's recruited successfully i'm not recruiting vc and i've heard of kelly i've never met her though no she she's awesome she was a great fat group leader neil dave uh, helped out a bunch as well more more on the private equity side but both of them had recruited successfully for vc or private equity um if i'm not mistaken i know kelly has recruited for VC full-time. I think Neil has for private equity full-time. But apart from their initial guidance and helping sort of structure what is really an unstructured recruiting, it was getting to be in a room with 12 people that were trying to pursue the same thing. And it was that, having that support system and sort of feeding each other companies because even though everyone wanted VC or startups, everyone wanted different things. Mm -hmm. There were people interested in fintech. There were people like me interested in what it's called prop prop tech. There were people interested in consumer. So... We'd feed each other companies, firms. If you had a friend that knew someone at a consumer VC firm, you try to put that person in touch. So it was really leveraging that small group of people. And then on a larger scale, really when you're just scouring LinkedIn or just happen to out of serendipity talk about talk with someone about what you're interested in, they'll they'll say, Oh, I have a friend who's doing VC in New York, or I have a friend who's in FinTech and NSF and and it's really just using that. I've had a lot of my best connections made through finding a random connection on LinkedIn, whether it's someone who I'm close with here at Ross or someone who at least I feel confident enough to to ask for that intro, and they're always more than willing to make that intro. And that's been that's been great. So um, from a tech perspective and kind of a general management perspective, uh, I echo what these two have just said, but one thing that I used my classmates for was understanding um, what I would actually be doing in each of these jobs. So when you look at a job description, for example, product manager in tech, that means something different at every single tech company you're going to go interview at. So I would provide my classmates support on, you know, what that looked like for me at Wayfair and what I think is transferable across all product management roles, but what I also thought was specific to Wayfair. Um, conversely, when I was applying, I would seek out um, folks who had had a role at the companies I was applying to and say, hey, what does this actually look like at this company? Like, what am I right. going to be doing on a day-to-day basis? Because um, some industries, you know, I think a little bit different than banking or consulting, you really have to peel back the layers and think, totally. is this what I really want to do at this company? And did you feel like classmates kind of gave you honest, like straight up feedback on this stuff? Or did you feel like they were kind of hiding something from you or at all? No, I absolutely, they completely, you know, pulled back the curtain, pros, cons, good and the bad. Um, but I think that a lot of people were really enthusiastic about it either way. So they just lay it out as it is and you can take that information as you see fit. You know, I have told people before, maybe tech's not for you. And people have told me before, you know, maybe X isn't for you if that, if what you say you want to do 
is really your goal, this might not be the right role for you. And that's knowing what you don't want to do is just as valuable as knowing what you want Absolutely. to do. Absolutely, Nick, in the consulting world, did you ever rely on classmates for that? I, I know coming from a consulting background, I know what is consulting, right? There's a million different things at each firm. It might mean something different. Did you ever rely on classmates for, for similar background? Um, yeah, I, I talked to, uh, to several of my classmates that went that, that came from consulting, a lot of it was around just lifestyle and sustainability and, um, you know, what does that look like? I think... Get used to flying. Yeah. <laughs> get get used, those miles. Get, get used to, yeah. Rack up the Marriott. Yeah, lines. get used to um, uncomfortable airline seats. Um, <clears throat> Not when you have status, though. But I think, yeah, one day. Um, I think kind of, to kind of, to speak a little bit to the opposite of what, what Cam said, um, at Ross, there's a lot of people that go out for consulting. I mean, uh, 150 to 200, I think. Um, and not everybody is going to get uh, a consulting job. And I think it speaks to the culture here at Ross um, that there's just not that many people with super sharp elbows. Um, so there's a lot of ambiguity deliberately in the consulting interview process um, and being able to think on your feet and being able to formulate ideas in a structured manner um, and really the only way to get good at that is is practicing. So um, I relied a ton on on my classmates and vice versa, uh, both in the internship recruiting process and the, the full-time recruiting process uh, at the beginning of the MBA two-year. Um, and people were always willing to help um, by virtue of just spending a lot of time going around to all these consulting firms, uh, as I'm sure is, is the case in banking as well. Um, you get to know a lot of the same people, and some of my best friends have come um, you know, from the section and, and from certain clubs, but a lot of them come from, from the consulting recruiting process. So um, even in a, an industry where um, there might not be a job for everyone, uh, I think people are still very supportive and celebrate with you and mourn with you. And um, I think I can't say that that's unique to Ross, but mm-hmm. I, I don't know that that's the case everywhere, and I'm really thankful that I've had that. I can I can also echo that, um, uh, Carlos. You first mentioned that um, earlier about you know kind of the competitive vibes um, you know in recruiting, and, and I'll say um, you know coming here, you kind of everyone's kind of type A, everyone's you know into you know succeeding and, and doing the best they can, and everyone kind of uh, you know is you kind of enter with a mindset of, oh, I got to do the best, you know, I got to do better than this person. But you quickly realize everyone has different interests. Um, everyone's coming from somewhere different. It's That's what makes kind of the MBA so different than everything else. Um, and I think here at Ross, especially, that kind of competitive vibe is quickly dispelled and people just kind of start supporting each other. And um, I think that's kind of what we heard, what we've heard over the course of this conversation. Did you guys leverage uh, professors at all um, in the process for kind of advice on any concerns you had about your your previous career or upcoming career or um, any company advice? Um, I know I did. A little. I've uh, developed a good relationship with Eric Schwartz, our core marketing professor, and then took the plunge to take his customer analytics class, which has been okay. interesting. A lot of really, really smart BBAs in that class, a few CS majors, okay. a lot of math that I'm really uncomfortable with. <laughs> but but it's been a great experience. And throughout that, uh, developing a relationship with Eric, he's very invested in, in all of his students doing well, and he's more than willing to, to connect with uh, 
peers or with people he knew from his undergrad days. And since I'm doing VC, he does have a few connections within VC. I haven't leveraged that so much, but I've had happened to have a few connections with him at companies that I've been working for. And it's not so much having him reach out and vet me, but me asking about what like these people these people's personality, how they are, how they've like their trajectories, and he's been super helpful. Um, that's really the only I've tried to develop relationships with all my professors, and yeah. I've really I think we have a a really good crop here at Ross. Mm-hmm. But as far as professional um, aspirations, really, I've only relied on some stuff Great. with Eric. Yeah, cool. Uh, I think for me, and again, kind of bringing the MBA two perspective in, um, the the second time I recruited as a as a full time candidate, I had a couple of j- different job offers that um, that I was weighing, um, and so I don't know that I needed in the candidate process. Um, there's not a shortage of Ross alumni at at McKinsey or course, at Deloitte or or places like that. I've heard the um, large companies. Yeah, <laughs> um, so you don't. Not that the professors couldn't introduce me if I wanted to. I just didn't. That that wasn't a a hurdle for me to get over. Um, but once I was kind of weighing my my offers, uh, I've got an interest in private equity down the line. I think it would fit with my my background and everything. So I actually went to David Brophy, who's the private equity um, and venture capital guru here, mm-hmm. and said, you know, hey, here's here's the paths that I'm kind of considering. Does this matter? What should I look at? What sort of project should I raise my hand for? Um, you know, do you think that that one thing, uh, one of these would be better than the other one? So um, I had that conversation with a couple of different different profs, and I think um, they're they're people that I had gotten to know. They're people that have my best interests at heart. They're not they're not vested in one company or the other. Um, so that's really where I leveraged the relationships that I had, um, kind of on the back end, mm-hmm. and I think it was very helpful and kind of calmed me down a little bit as I was sure you know in the in the freak out uh, time frame, which we've all been in. <laughs> um, I think for me, the one um, person I did reach out to, I didn't test out of accounting. And in banking, accounting is a big portion of um, the technical aspect. A lot of people are former CPAs. So um, I we went to office. Uh, yeah, we really did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So. Um, yeah, so you like Rob from our section as an example, coming like going in um, practice accounting for him. It was just kind of a joke. So, come, so I met with Greg Miller a few times, recognizing early on that I kind of needed to get up to speed and not just like pass or get a good, like actually kind of thoroughly understand it. So he was really, um, really helpful. And um, guys, the talker ended up in his office for about an hour. So it was good. Uh, but a couple of the Ross alumni I met throughout the recruiting process um, mentioned his like investor relations class was one of their favorite classes at Ross. So I oh, cool. uh, so lucked out that I kind of seeked advice at someone that like... So you'd kind of heard that before... Before Ross uh, coming in through the process. no through it during the fall when I'm you're doing kind of the corporate events or you're networking okay. with someone that graduated two years ago they're like yep. oh you had Greg Miller for accounting you should take his IR class he's really good yeah that's so. the other thing that's kind of funny when you're talking to a lot of these companies um, a lot of them are first second three or they're one two three years out of Ross yeah so they one of the conversation pieces they like to strike up is who are you, who do you have who are your professors yeah definitely you have to remember you your professor of, name, yeah. names I've gotten caught off guard before when yeah. it's early in the term you're like who yeah. do I have for marketing again yeah <laughs> it's funny to that point um, uh, Yesim Oren who's one of the she's one of the core marketing professors she has this policy where if you take her class 
um, you can follow her on LinkedIn. Um, but if you do that, you uh, have to, down the line, um, her for her future students, help them out when you have the opportunity to do so. So if you connect with her on LinkedIn, you're open to the last like five or six years, even beyond of Ross alumni. Um, I definitely took advantage of that personally. I had a couple conversations at P&G and um, uh, some other companies through her. Um, so that was very helpful. Uh, I found that amusing. So Nick, we, we've talked a lot about uh, kind of our, our networks at Ross and, and understanding, um, you know, what, how you leverage kind of the resources available to you throughout the process. You're kind of an MBA too, and have this unique perspective in that uh, we've talked a lot about internship recruiting, but there's also this whole other beast, which is kind of re-recruiting in your full time. Um, just about, it's something like 30 or 40% of people who who pursue an internship end up staying wherever they intern. Um, but as uh, several people do re-recruit, um, do you want to tell us about kind of the difference between those two? Yeah, I, I, I can speak to it from a consulting perspective. Um, the the internship recruiting sort of begins around early October and runs through the interviews in uh, in mid to late January. Um, the full time recruiting starts when you come on campus, maybe September first, um, and I think I was done with it by the first weekend of October. Um, so I I did my summer internship at at PwC in New York, um, and for I had a phenomenal experience. It was a great firm. Had the opportunity to go back, but for a couple of structural issues, mm-hmm. uh, mainly I didn't want to be in New York. Um, <laughs> it's a great town, but I, I'm, a, I'm a Midwestern guy. Sure. Um, so I decided to re-recruit for a few firms that I had built strong relationships with the year before um, and wound up interviewing, and, and I'm going to be with Bain in Chicago. Um, Congrats. So I think, yeah, thank you. Um, so I think the, the main difference is there's just a lot less time um, a lot less networking. Because um, we get on campus mid to end of August, and, and when are your interviews? Uh, I think the first rounds were end of September, and the, and the second rounds were like the next week and the beginning. And of, that's for the full time. So yeah, yeah. You've, you've been through a recruiting cycle. You've mm-hmm. now had your internship. Yep. And then within two months, you're, you're interviewing again. Whereas internship, we're yeah. interviewing in January, so we have six months of prep. Right, and I think, you know, A, it, it helps... It helps us as the as the as the candidates, but it also helps the consulting firms kind of check that box before they they go on sure. to the internship stuff. Um, and so I was able to leverage the, the firms that I interviewed with again. Uh, I had built some pretty good relationships with the year prior. Um, I had I knew people that you know went to Amazon and then wound up at McKinsey or something like that. So it absolutely can be done, um, but the the process is not nearly as drawn out. It it happens fast. Which, if you're prepared for it, and if you're willing to, um, you know, kind of attack it, is an advantage. Uh, but if you're not, it can it can really catch you off guard. Sure. So, I mean, I, I, without naming names, I, I saw that happen as well, um, where people were a little bit more casual about it, and before you know it, you're in a partner's office, and um, that can be pretty scary if you're underprepared. So, um, I'm I'm very thankful for the opportunity to do the internship. It's not necessarily a permanent thing. Um, for a lot of people, it does turn into that. Um, but for me, I I was able to to kind of see one side of the coin, and then uh, uh, try again as a as a second year. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for uh, explaining that difference for us. So uh, so yeah. So we talked a little bit about networks at Ross. Um, I think one of the main uh, aside from that, one of the main kind of uh, support. 
ideas that, that Ross has is, is this concept of a fact group. Um, so question for everyone at the table. Do you know what fact stands for? Carlos, you get the first shot. No. <laughs> Absolutely no idea. <laughs> no. It's a no for me. Functional accountability career team. That's the NBA two in the room, folks. Wow. There he is. There he that's, is. That's the fact group leader in the room. There, there it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. If that got back to me, I wouldn't have known either. I didn't put that in my notes. Um, so fact groups. Um, Shame on all of you. Yeah. <laughs> and we're all aspiring peer coaches. Yeah, exactly. We just submitted our applications today. Just submitted our applications to be in Nick's position next year. Uh, so fact groups, I guess, Nick, can you give a good introduction as to what kind of a fact group is, um, the concept of it? Yeah, so it's it's a group of, um, I'll say broadly, five or six to up to a dozen or maybe 15, depending on the function, mm-hmm. um, of co-MBA ones who are recruiting in the same direction. Um, and they meet on a weekly basis with an MBA two who has experience in that, um, in, in recruiting in that direction. Um, and it's a, it's a way to, A, have accountability with where are you in the prep, preparation process. Um, it's a smaller group setting where you can bounce questions off the MBA two, uh, MBA two leader, both from an accessibility standpoint and a you know just kind of general anxiety standpoint, right. um, and it works in tandem with the education sessions. At least in consulting, there's a weekly sort of lecture type um, ed session. Here's where you should be in the interview prep process, and sure. then we'd meet. Uh, you know that was on on the weekend, um, and then we would meet like Wednesday nights. I think is when our, our fact group met, um, and we would review that, go through it. Do you have any questions? Can we practice? Um, and I think early on, a lot of it is is technical, functional. Here's how we're supposed to do this, and it it gradually turns into sort of a group therapy uh, uh, sort of session. I've seen plenty of tears spilled in front of a peer coach, <laughs> uh, or in front of a fat group leader, I should say. Yeah, and and I, I mean, I, I will say that that's that's been one of, if not the most rewarding thing that I've done here at Ross uh, is to have the chance to to build relationships with with MBA ones um, uh, specifically but not exclusively the ones in my fact group and to kind of see them go from not even knowing what a case interview is to you know kind of walking with them through uh, through all the highs and lows and 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 that sort of thing so um, it's there's a technical functional aspect to it but there's also a, a relational aspect to it as well um, and I'm I'm still close with my my group from last year. Um, they're all awesome people, uh, and and we'll occasionally you know take a photo and send it to our 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 group leader who's sure. now off in the real world paying taxes and all that stuff. So um, <laughs> I don't know what that is. So so yeah, I, I think I don't know if that's unique to Ross. Uh, I do think that it's very very helpful, and um, I really enjoyed it. And and. Yeah, and, and, and these fact groups kind of, you know, as you mentioned, everyone kind of gets assigned to one for the most part, um, and and it's pretty much aligned to your function. So I'm in one, and it's focused on uh, CPG marketing um, because that's kind of the career path that I was uh, focused on. Um, and so I guess kind of on that note, um, one thing I wanted to dive into was 
we'll we'll talk about a few things about fat groups because fat groups are, are very central to your your first semester here. You kind of get on campus, um, you kind of run around with, like a chicken with the head cut off, and you're you're just like, what do I do? And the first time I my first impression of my fat group, this is kind of leading into my next question, was the first fat group I walked into was the first time that I felt like okay, someone's going to tell me what to do. <laughs> I know what to do in the recruiting process now. They, I remember one of their first slides, they had uh, a graph that was like, like the, it was like the uh, emotion scale or something. And it was like, <laughs> you're going to be pretty stress-free up until the beginning of November when there's marketing symposium and, you, and that's basically mock interviews with real companies. And then your stress is going to be absolutely through the roof. After that, it'll dip a little bit and then it'll start to steadily rise towards interviews in January. Um, but that just kind of structure and support from uh, MBA twos is, um, is definitely one of Ross's differentiators. What, what were your guys's... Um, first impressions of your fat group, kind of day one, you walk in, what was your, what were your thoughts about it? So coming into fat group, knowing that VC recruiting is very odd and really on you and very difficult. The first thing, maybe not the first thing, but one of the first things that Kelly said was really stressing how much you have to hustle to get it. And she said, if you want to get a VC job, you should be sending at least 20 to 25 personalized personalized emails a week. <laughs> and I remember turning to... That's without a paid assistant. And I remember turning <laughs> to a friend and looking at him like, oh, <laughs> this is so maybe I won't get a VC internship. No, but like I said before, it's the first year there has been a VC PE fat group. Because I think there was plenty of interest. They actually split it into two, uh, 24 people, 25-ish, um, in two different fat groups. I was going to say, yeah, not to interrupt you, yeah. uh, also mention how many coaches do you have in your fat group and how many people in your fat group? So Kelly is the main fat group leader for the VCPE fat group. She called on Neil a fair bit. Um, so I guess he was also a fat group leader or a quasi-fat group leader. Um he helped a lot with like behaviorals and interview stuff. He was mostly focused on PE, but but jumped in a fair bit. And then my fat group had 12, and I think the other VCPE fat group also had 12. And then depending on if you were busy and couldn't make yours, you could hop onto the one the other day. So it was super helpful. And like I said, it's a very unstructured recruiting path. Everyone has a completely different way they're going to go about it. Everyone's going to get a job in a different way. But I think Kelly really helped set a few like really important structures to it to to sort of make you organize yourself in a way if it weren't for those few few first fact groups i i would have been a mess mm -hmm. um not to say that i've completely got it yet but a lot of the stuff we learned on how do you want to approach vcs what do you want to bring to the table because it's easy to say oh i want to do vc i want to be a vc but you just you can't you're not going to get in right. any door with that with that so she sort of helped us frame our story, really hone in on your, your odyssey, as we like to call here yeah. at Ross, and how you're going to use she, – she, the first day talked to us about having an industry analysis and really d deep diving into something you were interested in, having two or three companies within that industry that you thought were interesting companies, and then as you start reaching out to VCs, have that sort of as, as your intro. Not to say, hey, I'm Carlos, I want to do VC sure. – but you talk about your interest in the space and the research you've been doing and start the conversations from there. So apart from the support 
with the 12 people in the group, it was just really building structure in mm-hmm. an otherwise just crazy, crazy recruiting path. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I was in a general management uh, fat group because I was choosing my own adventure uh, throughout this process. <laughs> and, and what industries have you gotten offers in? Um, I have offers in... Uh, operations, marketing, tech, and internal strategy right so now. So it, it did work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Carlos got to plug his fat group leader. Uh, my fat group leader was Jane Roberts, and I just cannot speak. I know, Nick, she's amazing. I cannot speak more highly of her. She, she was great. And so a little bit differently from the other two fat groups, uh, Jane had 10 MBA ones who were not only running around like chickens with their heads cut off, but also running in 10 different directions. So on campus, off campus, um, small companies, big companies. And she did a fantastic job of being the great connector. I mean, everything we had, she, she had a guy for that. Um, so she did not, you know, pretend to know everything about every industry, which is what, what we were really right. needing at the time. Yeah. Um, she was absolutely fantastic at knowing her Ross network and knowing who to connect us with. Um, and so that was the, the greatest benefit that she provided us. Um, another benefit she provided us just because we didn't do so many technical things in our general management fat group was um, with interview, mock interviewing, she dunked us under some cold water real quick. <laughs> like we did it very early. Um, and I remember us being like, you know, oh, we don't even know we're interviewing yet. Are we, are we sure we should practice? She's like, you'll get these questions anywhere you go. <laughs> um, so she just did a fantastic job. And I do want to mention, I actually started out in an operations fact group and switched after my first meeting. And I'm actually still friends with that other fact group as well. Um, the first couple weeks, I think they make you choose your fact group even before you come to orientation. And so it feels like a really big deal. And it is because you want to get off on the right foot and be there as early as possible. But um, there is a chance to kind of switch things around if you want to. Yeah. Then uh, there were a couple guys in CPG marketing as well that were originally in other fact groups. A lot of people kind of pursue tech marketing as well. And so we're in tech and, and switched into CPG marketing fact groups and they were welcomed with open arms. But yeah, that is a, a key decision that you have to make early on. Yeah. So for me, my first impression going into the fact group um, was I thought it was going to be really valuable. He had already um, it was Andy Clifford, MBA too, so do my plug as well. Um, uh, I'd actually spoken to him on the phone before I applied when I, he just happened to be someone I found online. Um, so, so that was some good familiarity, but just going in the first meeting, he had already sent us kind of the outline for the, um, whole semester, I guess, cause ours is over now. Um, and so I, first impressions were obviously like he's very prepared. This is going to be very an important part of the recruiting process, and it really was. Um, for context or for just comparison, we only had four MBA ones to one MBA two, and one of the MBA ones had signed an offer in the summer, so it was really only three of us. So really, a ton of attention on a weekly, me- hourly meeting, responding to texts da- daily. Whether it's, hey, this person here's who I'm talking to at this bank. It's kind of gotten cold. Do I email someone else? Advice like that. Or like, hey, can we meet? I have an accounting question. So I could go both directions. So really um, like fulsome uh, kind of of the whole recruiting process. So I thought it was, I've heard through banking, it, it varies person to person. So I think I'm kind of on the spectrum of just got gotten all-star as well. But I think the low numbers and just the, kind of um, hands-on experience we got and just kind of the kind of uh, onerous nature of the banking recruiting process and the like number of people you have to meet with and the kind of nuances you have to navigate. You want to say like, 
does this like just showing someone a sentence like is this the right tone in an email like um, when they haven't answered the last two kind of things so you know um, just that support was huge I think the most overanalyzed item ever in business school is everyone's like first thank you email or your next hundred as well yeah, or, yeah. Your, or your next 150 <laughs> but everyone that first thank the you email you're just yeah. like is this right am I signing it up should I say sincerely kind regards like and people spend an hour on a thank you me email, and you're just like, it's two sentences, send it. But I'll read two sentences over 50 times before <laughs> I hit send. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's interesting. I, I can personally vouch for uh, Kelly, Neil, Jane, and uh, Andy. Uh, <laughs> Jane and, and Kelly are, are in my section, and, and so absolute rock stars. Um, and my, my faculty leader has graduated, but shout out Alan Lefebvre, uh, Great job, Alan. Great job. Um, uh, so yeah, so my the 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 group that I had when I was an MBA one was eight members to to one MBA two, um, and then the one that I led this year was five. Um, but I think Cam, you sort of alluded to this. A core function of the faculty leader is to answer questions that people think are too stupid to ask anybody else. Like that's the person that you go to. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is I'm, – I'm embarrassed to ask this because I think I should know it yeah, or whatever. totally. Um, but the group leader is the, the one that I go to. So um, my first impressions, again, it was a long time ago. I mean, I, I think – First impressions of your group this year as a fat group leader. Oh, I think I'm going <laughs> to plead the fifth on that. <laughs> um, no, uh, I mean, they were – honestly – uh, uh, full honesty, my first impression of the fact group this year was that I was very glad I did not have to recruit against them. Can you list everyone in your fact group? No. <laughs> Can uh-huh. I? Yes. Will I? No. Okay. Um, but they were they were incredibly polished resumes. Um, they were way too nervous uh, when so they came right. in, um, but they were they were so qualified. They were so. Um, you know, I, I was just very glad that I was done, done recruiting <laughs> for internships. Um, no, but I think I think you said something earlier about this is finally I have somebody who's going to tell me what to do, um, and they end up not providing that much guidance. They don't tell you what to do, but it's at least somebody that if I think I might be going 180 degrees in the wrong direction, here's somebody who can knock me back on course. Right. They kind of um, put bumpers down, and you yeah. can kind of crash around and be on this process route going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like we all want to do the right amount of work, but no one wants to do more work than we have to. <laughs> and we're all probably inclined to do more work than yeah. we have to. No so one wants I, to do it. I relied on Jane for that. You know, like, am I going completely overboard or am, am I being too lazy? Yeah. She, she definitely told me. I'll, I'll complete the circle. Uh, Jacqueline Salamak and Connor Nickel were my two fat group leaders. And we, we had about six people in the group. Um, and I'll, I'll, uh, something that was kind of touched on earlier about uh, you know how good these kind of fat group leaders are. Shout out Nick. Um, is it, it is a, a paid position and it is uh, there is a hiring process behind it. Um, we kind of alluded to earlier. Bridget and I just submitted uh, peer coach applications for next year, um, but it is an application. We do submit a cover letter. There is an interview. Um, there's one or two interviews with the CDO. Nick, you can probably talk to this, but yeah, I'm going to be conducting those interviews. Okay, uh, about, <laughs> we're going to be two weeks. So, but isn't one of them where like like you sit with Christina, but then another one's like with you, and we we as applicants have to help you through a problem um, and like demonstrate that we can help someone. Yeah, it's a 
a little a mock interview, but the the peer coach, right? Because it's it's the NBA two outgoing NBA twos who do conduct the interviews, um, and rather than playing the interviewer, they now play the interviewee. Um, Don't give him all the answers. And, <laughs> well, it's yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I, I remember my own in my own interview, uh, a friend of mine who I won't name um, really leaned into that character and had a had a good time uh, with the with with playing the uh, clueless NBA one. But it is it's a different perspective, and you you kind of know your own journey. Yeah. Um, but in order to be an effective peer coach, effective. Totally. Uh, group leader, you have to kind of open your your lens a little bit to, um, you know, maybe someone is overconfident and how do we sure. tactfully bring them down? Maybe somebody's underconfident. How do we build them up? Um, you know, you, you mentioned earlier having somebody tell you like, hey, maybe X isn't for you. Um, that's a really hard conversation to have. But I think to not to not give constructive feedback, even if it's not that extreme, um, you're doing a disservice, and I think, um, you know, even even from a a mock interview to a mock interview basis last year, um, I just I didn't learn as much from the ones where I didn't get good feedback. Um, so I think it's it was an essential part of my development, and um, hopefully I didn't screw up too many people uh, <laughs> on the way this year. Yeah, and and, uh, and so the point there is the these peer coaches are, are heavily trained and they're very good at what they do, and it's a highly selective process. So um, they are a good resource for us um, throughout throughout this process. My my own fact group leaders, Jacqueline and Connor, uh, just kind of a sample of what they do is uh, on the uh, first day of interviews, they sent out. Um, a video to our fact group um, that they had recorded of themselves um, like singing a little like jingle uh, where they were like basically wishing our fat group just success and good luck um, going into interviews. And there's little stuff like that. You kind of wake up at 8 a.m. day of interviews and you're ready to go and you get this video and just, it's very encouraging. So, you know, they, they can be cheerleaders in some cases. Um and so, so that's a lot about fat groups. Um, just one last thing I wanted to touch on before we move on to kind of concluding kind of our exploratory session is, um, do you guys have a fat group, like group me and what's the name of the fat group chat? Mine is fact and furious. We do not have a fat group group wow. me, okay. which maybe we'll cut that part out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the casualties of switching a fat group early on is my fat group had a group me and I didn't know till the last week and then I stubbornly refused to join. So I don't know what mine is called either. (laughs) So you were a fringe girl. (laughs) Fringe girl. Yeah. I'll say I don't, I'm not on any fat group group me. I'm, I'm assuming there's no group me. You're hoping. Maybe. So (laughs) maybe I was just left out. Okay. All right. So fringe, fringe guy. (laughs) So to, to speak to that, I, the one the one that I have that I led has a group me, and it's just titled like fact group. But I only recently found out that they had another one without you. without me, and I <laughs> and I don't know what that was called without dad. In it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's great. Okay. No, we um, the whole banking silo had a group me, so the forty of us had one, and that was called IB Silo. So that shows the um, creativity of bankers. Um, now fact group, we had a text thread um, called Fat Group. Got it. 
Maybe the marketing fat group can flex their creativity muscles next year and give us all names for ours. <laughs> Maybe we will. Uh, there's been some creativity floating around in our bios on the website, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, so, yeah, so let's wrap this up. One kind of overarching question. So we've been through the exploration process. Um, you know, we go on treks here. We, we kind of visit companies in their offices. Um, that's kind of a valuable resource about Ross. Um, how did you guys decide what companies to apply to ultimately? Um, Carlos, very aware that this is an ongoing process. <laughs> um, what companies did you decide to apply to? Um, and, uh, and, and then in deciding that, how did you balance class and on-campus activities with recruiting? So I can, I'll answer the second question first. Um, first quarter and first semester was actually a little slow on the recruiting part for me on the VC side. VC and startups typically, they'll go through the end of the year. Some people, you'll speak to MBA twos that didn't have an offer till May 1st. I'm hoping I won't be on that boat, but I currently wow. do not have an offer. Um, I don't think I've actually even formally applied anywhere. I'm in conversations with a bunch of different people, VC firms, startups, um, that'll hopefully materialize over the coming weeks. But I haven't like gone through the formal application process. Sure. Um, in terms of the companies I wanted to apply to, I came in knowing certain funds. Like I said before, coming from a real estate background, I was interested in this space called PropTech. So there's only if there's not that many VC firms that are really focused on it. Um, try to first find within those firms where there were any Ross contacts or where I had contacts through classmates or, or my own network. Um, so pursued leads there and startup, same sort of within the prop tech realm, just seeing what interested me because I, the truth is I'm really not interested in any type of VC or any type of like random startup. I've been pretty, pretty selective, which may, it, it's a double-edged sword. Right, right, right. Um, I, I, there's not 25 companies I would drop my resume at or try to interview with. Um, so we'll see how that works out. But I've tried to be selective, and, and I don't know if it's me being naive or if it's hubris, but I, I just haven't had that broad of a, of a universe. Totally, totally. Yeah. Cool. Um, so I kind of alluded to this earlier, but I decided where to apply based on what I would actually be doing in that job and just confirming that it was a pipeline to some sort of general management role later as long as you were performing well. Um, so the way I made those decisions were twofold. I tried to meet for 15, 20 minutes with every MBA2 who had the role the year before. Um, that was super helpful. And I went to all of their on-campus presentations. So I did most of my recruiting through on-campus. And um, just making sure that kind of the uh, culture and what I would be doing there really fit um, what I wanted to be doing. And then uh, how did I balance everything? What I would say is my biggest advice would be done. this might be controversial, done is better than perfect. So mm -hmm. I think when you're talking about done in the sense of someone that's going to Ross or another elite MBA program, that that done is in pretty good shape. Mm -hmm. And I think like we were talking about the thank you notes earlier, um, don't wait to two days after the interview because you're hemming and hawing over two lines of, of the email. Just get it done. It's going to be fine. And I think that goes a long way to helping balance everything. Uh, when it's, you know, you're 80 or 90% of the way there, don't spend two more hours getting it to 100. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so for, for banking, there's kind of two buckets. Um, 
we had 10 on-campus banks, so what that means is they have designated spots for Ross students each year. They come on campus, do corporate presentation. Um, it's generally banks that have had success here and just have a larger Ross presence there. And then there's the off-campus, off usually smaller banks, boutiques, or maybe just banks that over the years uh, kind of fallen off the radar. Um, so I've focused mo- mostly on on-campus um, just because that, it was the easiest, kind of the least resistance. And I, mm-hmm. to fill my schedule when I would travel to New York every Thursday, Friday, I had it was hard enough to talk to all those banks and keep them interested. So um, to really broaden it any farther, you had to want to go to an off-campus bank for a particular reason. So that was my choice there. Um, I think I ended up applying to nine out of the ten on-campus banks because one didn't have wasn't doing New York this year, and then I dropped maybe three or four. But I didn't expect because banking, it's like very rare to get an interview just from a drop. You kind of have to have spoken to someone there. And some be- and a lot of people are with banking specifically. You're focused on SF or New York or Chicago. exactly. So yeah, so that can shift your lens as well. Um, so so that's how I thought through that. Um, and then as for balancing classes, um, I mean, one thing to adjust and it's a recommendation is I took three classes in fall B because every. Wednesday night, I would fly to New York um, to meet with bankers Thursday and Friday, um, or your respective city, SF Chicago, um, were the big three. Um, so that was part of it. So I only had one Tuesday, th- Thursday class, told all the professors at the beginning of the course what my situation was, and then um, kind of tapped into what Bridget mentioned. You know, did you do an adequate job, be there for my group, but maybe be the one that does the editing at the end or gets the ball rolling at the beginning before I leave for New York. So um, really just figuring out how to how to balance it all and how to make sure that you're getting things done and not letting things fall off. Um, again, as Bridget mentioned, I think was really important. Yeah, two things I'll, I'll kind of echo that you mentioned there. One thing was you took the reduced class load in fall B. Um, that'll vary based on your, your function. Um, I'm taking a reduced class load now in winter A. You're taking, Carlos, okay. Um, and, and that's because all of my interviews were in January, personally, in the marketing silo. Um, and then the other thing um, to build on was in terms of managing your time. One thing you'll hear about a lot at Ross is there's always something to do and there's always stuff going on. And you'll be tempted to kind of check out all the possible positions there are and uh, filter through those. But at some point, you just kind of decide, I'm going to go with these these companies. And for me in particular, Cam, you said something similar, was you know there was enough on campus to kind of say, all right, I'm going to focus on on-campus. Maybe I'll go to this one or two off-campus opportunity as well, but I'm not going to focus on every company in the world here. Um, and, and there's resources on campus to help you pare down exactly what companies you're, you're going to go after. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I think from the consulting side, um, especially compared to banking, one of the nice things is that most firms, at least the big ones, will come to campus. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did take up a a considerable chunk of time, especially in uh, fall B, which runs roughly from Halloween through Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're flying around anyway, uh, especially the big ones, they they come to Ann Arbor. So um, there's not really a need to go outside of even this building. Um, if there are smaller smaller boutique firms, especially those that focus on healthcare or energy or something that somebody might have an interest in, um, I can't really speak to that. I, you know, a lot of that's phone calls anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think the the time commitment, professors are understanding. Um, 
it's it's a valuable skill to have yeah. when you're when you're juggling uh, a bunch of stuff. Um, but no, I, I didn't need to travel. Uh, you just kind of get your do your coffee chats, do your go to your court presentations, um, write your thank you notes, and then wake up and do it again the next day. Um, that that was that was my process, and then the interviews themselves. Um, which you will travel for. Uh, if you typically, typically first round interviews are on campus or, uh, or virtual, and then you would go to whatever office you're, you're interviewing, whether that's San Francisco or Chicago or, or Detroit. Um, but the traveling doesn't really come in until, uh, until winter A, and, and usually that's paid for by the firm, which mm-hmm. is nice. Um, one less thing to, to worry about. Sure. Yeah, and marketing. As I mentioned, we had all uh, all of our interviews in Winter A, and up till that point, you know, in the fall, all the companies kind of come on campus for corporate presentations, where you kind of are introduced to the company, and then you ultimately have uh, potentially an interview in January, and even all that's on campus for us in marketing. Um, and then the last, there were a, a couple second rounds that. Um, were on site, and, and those were in Chicago for me. So um, once again, traveling was not extensive. It sounds like it was something similar. Um, yeah, so thank you guys for coming. I'd, I'd really love to wrap up um, with just kind of a, a couple questions here. One being, um, let me know, what was the most rewarding part of your recruiting journey? Um, and, and then on the flip side, what did you find kind of most challenging um, to date? And that'll be kind of uh, our, our parting thought here um, for you guys. So, Cam, you want to get us started? Um, most rewarding? Probably when I got an offer. <laughs> Monday, January 6th or your whatever first it offer was. Or the yeah. offer you accepted? Uh, one of two and the one I took. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I think I'm still working through the group placement, and um, I'm ho- knock on wood if that works out. I think that will be rewarding as well. Um, and the roster has really helped me through that. Um, most challenging, um, just balancing the emotional roller coaster. I think I really underestimated them. I had, especially with the reduced workload, like I had plenty of time. You know, I, I had time to help with my group projects. Yeah, I was traveling every week. It was a lot. I was sending thank you notes, but it wasn't like I was, we've all worked long hours, right? You know, we, it wasn't like I was up until 2 a.m. writing thank you notes. Mm-hmm. So, it, but the, what was really challenging was just the, yeah, the emotional toll, the idea, oh, are they not responding because I've kind of been cut at that bank, which mm-hmm. happens, you know, you kind of just, they never respond and say you, at, at least in banking, like, because you haven't even applied yet, they don't. You get cut by just getting ghosted, essentially. Right. So you have to learn. We're hearing about that from oh people. God. It's just kind of. We just. It's they, like dating in the. 20 yeah. 20. It exactly. It is. So it's like, but then you. So you have to just learn to get out of the mindset of try, obsessing over. Oh, they're not responding because they don't like me. Versus they're getting crushed and they respond two days later. Yeah. So like, one, getting over that hurdle was a big one. So I think that um, honestly was the big challenge, and I think. Um, advising people going forward um, for recruiting, especially uh, the banking um, aspect of it, is really prepare for that um, because that's something I definitely underrated. Awesome. Bridget, what did you think? Uh, The most rewarding experience for me was the cycle of both helping others get into tech. So something that was really energizing for me is helping my classmates prepare for a tech interview 
um, or giving them some more insight into the tech industry. And then, you know, getting that favor returned to me by MBA 2s and MBA 1s, just creating bonds where um, I have people texting me saying, hey, how did that interview go? Have mm-hmm. you heard back? Stuff like that. That was my absolute favorite part of the recruiting process. Um, the biggest challenge I had was uh, they talk about a lot during orientation. I mentioned it earlier, but the FOMO. Um, and so that is, you know. JOMO. JOMO, yeah. So like <laughs> The joy of I, missing out versus the fear of missing out. Yes. And so am I doing enough? And by the way, I was not someone who I felt fell into that category before school. I kind of brushed it off. I said, you know, I I kind of do everything all the time, so I don't often experience FOMO. <laughs> I know what I want. I want a really specific thing. And I thought I wouldn't fall prey to that, and I definitely did. Um, so just thinking, you know, am I doing enough? Is what I'm doing the right thing? Uh, should I be doing more? Should I be doing less? Uh, should I have been a consultant? Um, which is, a, I think everyone asks that question at least one time, wakes up in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. Oh my God, should I have been a consultant? But um, It's the undecided major of careers. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so that was the biggest challenge for me and also an unexpected challenge I didn't think I'd run into. So, um, Given that the process is still ongoing, uh, I think for me, I've actually found it really reward- rewarding that I haven't compromised on the f- on what I came in wanting to do and that I've stuck it out. I understand that this may take a few more weeks. It may go through once the semester's done. Um, but I came in really wanting to avoid that FOMO and not because I don't think what everyone else is recruiting for is an interesting, but I came in with a really specific goal in mind, knowing that it would be difficult. So I guess sort of sticking through that has been rewarding in a sense. Um, challenging i've spoke about it i've spoken about it before pardon me it's uh it's just really unstructured um when you're talking to most of these vcs if they're smaller firms you're basically trying to convince them that they need an intern a lot of them don't even know yeah you know it's february now yeah yeah i've had conversations with startups that i have great conversations with and they'll 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 say thanks man i will get back to you once i know my role mid-april which is right. usually discouraging after having a great half an hour conversation, but it's sort of just just how it works. And that's nothing to do with you. Like, no, no. That's just versus like um, a Pepsi, who's a major corporation. They know they can take X amount yeah, of interns. Yeah, it's not knowing capacity. I'm going for spring break. I'll be in, in SF and going to visit with a startup that I've been talking with that I'm really interested in, and it seems like there's an alignment and mutual interest, but the guy recently said, oh, when you come over, it'll be great to have you, but... I won't know by then if I'll have capacity for the summer, which is, again, yeah. discouraging. So it's it's mostly just reaching out to people that don't necessarily need an intern and and sort of framing it in a way that, yeah, you do. You need an intern. Maybe and, not referring your, to yourself as an intern. Yeah, yeah. Do they um, need a consultant for the summer? Exactly. Um, <laughs> but it's sort of convincing them that they need help and that I'm the person. Mm-hmm. when there could be people from equally great business schools around the country that are doing the same thing. So that's been challenging. But I think I have f- found it rewarding that I haven't fallen into the FOMO because um, it, it, it is difficult, especially when you see people like yourself and getting inter- not only interviews but offers. Everyone at this table has offers already, and I'm the one odd man out. But in a, in a way, I'm really not that worried about it. There are a lot of people still in your boat, though. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that are exactly. also doing off campus. Yeah, and also- you sort of commiserate. Maybe there's not a fa- uh, a group me with a with a catchy name, <laughs> but you definitely know who's on the same boat as you, and uh, you laugh about it. You commiserate. You send each other opportunities, and hopefully by late April, we'll all have 
offers. We'll keep you in our prayers. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, Nick, what, what was the most rewarding part of your kind of twofold recru- recruiting journey and um, also what was the most challenging? Um, <clears throat> I think the most, the most challenging, uh, a lot of the, the interviews, especially in first year, are very tightly packed, right? So you go through this whole process of buildup and then over the course of a couple weeks, you know, you either get yeses or nos, um, and that can change. You know, you get a phone call, and 15 minutes later, you know, your dream firm is just not going to happen, um, at least for, for the internship or whatever. Um, so there's a lot of kind of ping-ponging of emotions there. Um, and I think what helped a lot was knowing where my identity was um, and, and that it wasn't in the internship. And then um, secondarily to that, I did not live with people at Ross. I lived with, uh, last year, um, I lived with a guy in the dental school and a guy in the Ford school, oh. uh, public policy school. Um, so being able to to come home and, and hang out with people who didn't didn't care. I mean, yeah. that, that they they cared, but they weren't in the same process. Sure. Um, so that was that was great. I think the most rewarding thing, and it's going to sound corny, um, was again kind of building relationships with MBA ones this year um, and seeing the potential and knowing that they were going to be successful um, and fruitlessly trying to convince them that that was the case. Uh, uh, and being able to say, I told you so mm-hmm. after, you know, after it, it works out for them, um, that, that was pretty cool, um, to sort of, to, to, to go through it with them and not have the stress that they had. Yeah. Um, because I, I knew I, I could look at them and I knew I'd mock interviewed them. I'd seen their resumes. I know they're personable and intelligent and, um, and good, uh, would make excellent consultants. I didn't know where they were going to go, but I know you know, that they were going to be successful and um, to to get the text or to get the phone call or to see them in the winter garden and say, you know, hey, how did that go? Yeah. And hear that they got the job um, brought me a lot of joy. Awesome. Great. Um, yeah. So thank you guys so much for joining us here today. Um, I think one last thing that I'll ask you guys to say is uh, – a club that you're involved in on campus um, that you would like to plug um, quick shout outs around the table. Carlos, you're first. I'd love to plug the social venture fund SVF as we call it. Incredible opportunity for anyone interested in dipping their feet into venture capital. And especially if you're interested in impact investing and social impact, it's just uh, the whole package. Awesome. I'm going to go with Tech Club. Um, So I came from tech, super passionate about it. There's a place for you there, whether you're going into tech or coming out of tech, kind of recovering. Um, So definitely (laughs) join up and uh, come to our sessions next year. Um, I'll go with Michigan Businesswomen, actually. Um, We just finished. um, I'm a director of allyship for that, so it's open to both um, men and women. We just finished an allyship week um, uh, this week where we did some different events kind of amplifying what allyship meant. So very topical. Um, and it's one of the biggest clubs on campus. So great club. Uh, I, until last week when we did uh, transitions, I was one of the co-presidents of the MBA Christian Fellowship. Um, so I think that that was a key um, sort of club and community in, in keeping things in perspective. Just uh, people that were doing a lot of different things from a recruiting standpoint and from a you know, before business school, after business school, but uh, shared values and, um, you know, helps with the identity and the um, just management of, of the big life sure. uh, changes and, and exploration and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'll plug that one for the 
for the incoming presidents next year. Awesome. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to hear about um, your recruiting experience. Um, and thank you everyone for listening in. Um, Business Beyond Usual is brought to you by the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Executive producers are Andres Fuentes Affleck, Bob Needham, and Adam Fasher. Today's episode was produced by Andres Fuentes Affleck and myself. I'd like to thank all of our panelists for joining and contributing, and Jonah Brockman, who did our recording and editing today. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Jeff, and this is Business Beyond Usual. Business Beyond Usual.